clinical disclaimer. This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. everyone. I am so excited because today is our very first official new podcast episode. We are doing a, I don't know, what are we calling it? Are we calling it a series? Yeah. Spinoff? Series? series? Pod series? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the University of Pleasure presents our new pod series, Sex Therapist Shoot the Shit with Laura Rademacher. Do you want to say who you are, Laura? I'm Laura Rademacher. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm a certified sex therapist, and uh, I'm a good friend of yours. Excellent. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist. I'm one of the co-hosts of the University of Pleasure, so if you've listened to that podcast, you've maybe heard me there. But today, this is a totally different one. I'm very jazzed about it. Because we get to do something different. Yeah, because Laura, for those of you that I'm sure dedicatedly like listen to the University of Pleasure podcast have maybe recognized Laura. She's been a guest on our show before and given lots of wonderful information. Um, Laura and I decided that we wanted to just do our own little podcast. That's right. Without Jeremiah, (laughs) who will be very upset. He's going to be mad about it. Right. Sorry, Jeremiah. Sorry, Jeremiah. But this is our newest podcast series from the University of Pleasure, Sex Therapist Shoot the Shit. So we're back. I don't know where we went, but so (laughs) what do we want to shoot the shit about today? You know, on the way over, I was having all kinds of ideas that were not helpful. (laughs) I was thinking about ghosts. And I was thinking... <gasps> ghost sex. <gasps> ghost sex. Yeah. Ooh. What? I would like, I mean, I think, yeah, like, I feel like, you know, like, when you watch, like, un- like this is so going to date me, but, like, remember, <laughs> like, Unsolved Mysteries? When, oh, like, I loved that show. Like, that was, like, my favorite. Right? Or, like, series like that where someone would have, like, a erotic experience with, like, a spirit of is some kind. Is there an Unsolved Mysteries about an erotic experience? I mean, I might spirit? be making that up, but I feel like that's, like, a theme. I'll tell you, I've watched that whole, all the Robert Stack ones I've watched multiple times, and I would love to see an episode on a, an erotic experience with the spirit. I feel like maybe, I don't know, somebody that's like a real fan is going to be like, that was never on Unsolved Mysteries. Please but, tell us if it is. Yeah, tell us if it is. Maybe I'm thinking of A Current Affair. I I'd watch A Current Affair too if I had to. Any, anytime there's an erotic experience with a ghost, you just let me know yeah. and I will watch whatever crappy TV thing is happening. Yeah. I don't, you know, I'm thinking of it maybe more from like, I don't know, pop culture or things like that. Where There is that scene. Do you remember that scene in Ghostbusters where Dan Aykroyd's character, I think he gets a little oral yes. from yes. the spirit. That was one where like, you know, Ghostbusters was on all the time at my house when I was a kid. And I saw it, I don't know, maybe like, maybe I rewatched it before they released the one with all my favorite people, Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones and all them. And I remember seeing that scene and I was like, wait a second, here's an oral sex joke I never got. I know. I just rewatched it the other day, like the original Ghostbusters and was like, 
There's so many references here. Oh, yeah. It's dirty. All the movies were dirty when we were younger. And and maybe you knew. I didn't. No, I just remember, like, somebody, like, when I found out that they did the the penis on the box of Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah. Like, some disgruntled, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Like, yes, some disgruntled, yes. like, um, Little Mermaid. Animator. Like, animator was like, <laughs> screw it, you know? And just was like... Made a penis castle. Yeah. And yeah. Pe- that was Little Mermaid, right? I think it was Little Mermaid, yeah. yeah. Or in Aladdin, where, like, the, the smoke goes up and says sex. I don't know about that. I don't know one. if it's edited out of the new, the newer editions, but it wow. was. Wow. Someone, if someone has an old VHS out there, check it because I'm pretty. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. We should be very clear that this podcast is literally just us shooting the shit. Oh yeah, it's not. It's not professional <laughs> advice. It's not like. I don't know. Maybe we'll have thoughts. We might have thoughts. I mean, <laughs> we'll see if anyone gleans anything at all. No, from what we're trying to do here. I think it's more about having fun. And having a talk and maybe people, um, that's the kind of podcast I often like to listen to is like people that I would like to have a conversation with having a conversation. Yeah. And so if you're looking for sex information, people should go to the University of Pleasure podcast. That's where they're going to get that. Yeah. We have lots of topics. Yes. That's for sure. And we have you on to talk about topics. Well, Yes, and it's been so fun. But you have a lot of great guests, and, you know, you are the amazing expert. So (laughs) you got it covered on that show. Uh, They can get their facts right there. Right. Well, and, you know, one of the things that is Laura and I's dream is between the two of us, we actually know quite a few other sex therapists. So we're hoping that at some point... Yeah, that at some point we can, like, make this a party. Yeah. And I think we're talking, like, a monthly series, yeah? I hope so. Yeah. We'll see how we'll see how much people enjoy it. <laughs> back to back to ghost sex, or just ghosts. <laughs> Why were you thinking about ghosts on the way here? <laughs> because there's another, well, should I talk about a different podcast on our podcast? That's fine. Cross-promotion, okay. I guess. Yeah. yeah. There's an awesome podcast called Spooked that I love to listen to. It's real people telling their stories of ghostly things or strange things that happen to them. And it's just produced really well. Um, The storytelling, the way it's crafted is really, really lovely. And also it's ghost time. It's fall. Doesn't this feel like ghost time? (laughs) Now, now I mean, it is dark at like 4 p.m. So there's really a lot of opportunity. Yes. So it was just on my mind, but I don't know if we can work it in. Give me some time. I'll I'll figure out a ghost sex episode for some time down the line. I'll find one of those erotic ghost happenstances and yeah, bring it here. I don't know why. I feel like that's a part of like pop culture, and maybe I'm just like making that up. No, I think it is. I think it is. I just I'm dying to see the unsolved mysteries reenactment of a sensual ghost experience. <laughs> Because the reenactments are always the best, uh, worst part. They oh, are the best, yeah. worst part. Somebody, you know that, like, they revive everything. They're going to revive Unsolved Mysteries if they haven't already. You know, they have, and it's really good. Is it? It's good in a different way. It's not, like, as as I think of the Robert Stack episodes. Do you know what I'm saying when I say Robert Stack? Mm-hmm. He's, like, the host guy. And then yeah, his voice host. is something that nightmares are made of. <laughs> yes, which yeah. makes him perfect in the trench coat that he oh, always, you God. know. Um, but yeah, he, I always watched his, there was another host in there somewhere that I didn't care for as much, but the new ones are actually like really well put together and don't have that same like cheesy reenactment feel, which I love. 
but the new ones are so good that I don't care that it's not cheesy. It's just like really mm-hmm. good. Yeah. yeah. And they picked important cases too. See, I am not, I know everyone else loves true crime stuff mm-hmm. and I am just, it's not, I know we've really gotten off the base of sex here, <laughs> but like this is really, it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. I think it stresses, it like genuinely stresses yeah. me out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way that ties in for me is that I like some true crime, but, but there are some days where the work we do unfortunately ties in with some really sad things. Yeah, I think that's why I don't, like, I, before I became a therapist, because, like, I think it's probably important to say that both you and I, we are specialists, right, in sexual health, and at the exact same time, still we're trained as generalists. Yes. Meaning that we still do a lot of other kind of work in terms of therapy. And I know that, like, when I first started working, it really changed the media that I could consume. Yes. Like in a very real way. I remember going like I used to watch like a lot of indie movies with like dark and like heavy themes and like really cerebral stuff. And now I'm like, I just want to read Us Weekly and watch Parks <laughs> and like watch Parks and Rec for like yes. the 19th time in a row. Yes. I need predictability. I need it to be simple. Yeah. Like just trash. Like yeah. I just oh, read yeah. erotic fiction. Just yeah. I really struggle and I can't watch. I remember someone, what was it? It was like, I was working in some inpatient setting. Yeah. And it was very, you know, a lot of really severe things going on and really tough stuff that people were dealing with. And I was, someone was wanting me to really, like, it was when Breaking Bad was, like, the biggest deal. Uh-huh. And I remember watching, like, forcing myself through the first season of it. And it was like, I was like, I cannot psychologically yeah, manage. it's too much. It was way too much. And it was way too much for the work that I was doing at the time. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm the same way. In fact, recently I realized I, I watch so many home renovation shows and they're stupid. They're just, I mean, most of them are just even very poorly done, you know, and I was noticing that all my suggested TV shows were house renovation shows. And I was like, this is starting to feel problematic. Like I'm actually feeling embarrassed of anyone seeing my like TV list. And then I realized like, oh, houses don't have people problems. Like my job is not about fixing foundations at all. So I can watch that or like, what kind of, do we do wallpaper? Is that dated? Like that is so far removed from everything that we do every day that that is what I gravitate towards now and yeah it's never the fancy art movies that make you think and feel that I used to watch I really gotta like get up for it you know it's really interesting like a lot of people and I always feel like kind of an a-hole but like a lot of people will often give me suggestions I don't know if you feel the same way about like certain sex shows or like sex ed shows or like and it's not to say like there's a lot of really great like sex podcasters and sex researchers and writers and I certainly want to stay informed and up to date because this is a quick moving field people right like people move things move fast in the field of sex research because it's frankly a relatively new field but at the same time like things that are like shows I think there's like that show on Netflix like sex education yes. and like what's that other one that's really popular oh it's a it's the cartoon Nick Kroll oh, did Big it. Mouth Big Mouth yeah like and I've watched parts of them and and legitimately good right but people often like assume that I oh you would love them and right. I'm like 
No, I would not. <laughs> the answer is I would not love them. Yeah. Like as far, like as far, and I'm curious about you, like, do you enjoy like that kind of stuff as your entertainment, like sort of sex theme stuff? Because for me, it's actually really tricky. Yeah. It's a real fine line. I've watched a lot of Big Mouth. I like Big Mouth a lot. It's it's kind of yeah. jokey enough. Yeah. And um, because it deals a lot with, like, adolescence, it, and oh. I work with adults, right. so, like, that feels a little removed for me. So that one works. I started watching Sex Education, liked a lot of it, got to an episode that felt really real and really emotionally hard for me, and I was like, I'm out. And I kept meaning to come back, but when it starts to feel like work, yeah. I, can't, I can't do it, you mm. know? Yeah, and I think that, like, so, like, big interestingly big mouth has been i do work with adolescents yeah and big mouth has been one of the harder shows for me to watch i recognize it that it's funny and it's good and frankly like i've had actually clients watch things about that show that have normalized like some of their experiences like really interestingly wonderful and don't get me wrong if you haven't seen big mouth like it's you know, there are some things that some people might quite quite find quite offensive. Oh, so do uh, I'm constantly <laughs> like, wow, they got this past the censors, huh? Yeah, like hey. yeah, like use at your own risk. Yeah. <laughs> they're not, you know, there's some offensive things in there. Um, but it's very well but, done too. But like, there's, you know, and I'm not. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. I'm gonna. But like, there's um, this character, the shame monster. Yes. Big mouth. That I think is actually such a real character yes. in certain people's lives, and. It genuinely stresses me out. Yeah. When the shame monster is there. It's the shame wizard, right? I think it's the shame monster. Because there's a puberty monster. Is it the shame monster or the shame wizard? Mm. Shame wizard, shame monster. You might It doesn't really matter. The shame character, whatever that is. Clearly, I was like having a panic attack (laughs) while watching it, so I maybe didn't absorb. (laughs) You were just like, shame, shame. It's too, it's almost like, I think like part of, and you know, I can't speak for every therapist, obviously, but like part of being like a psychologist, a therapist, hopefully often is about like empathy, right? Like you're, you're really trying to like kind of understand and like be able to sit with the feelings of the people sitting in front of you. And so usually people that pick that as a profession tend to find, like, just do that kind of, it's hard to turn it on and off. Right. So then you're at home and like when I'm watching TV shows where I like, know what that actually feels like for a person because I was just talking to someone two hours ago about yep. how horrible that experience was. It's hard for me to be like, <laughs> this is so funny. Right. I'm having such a good time right. <laughs> laughing at someone's awful experience. Right. Like I just, it's so hard. Yeah. Or when a show gets it really wrong. Yes. You know, and you're like, that's not, oh, that's, that's not how people feel when I talk to them about this. You know, not that everybody feels the same way about certain events in their life right but but when a show tries to capture a big issue and handles it in some way where I'm like okay you just increased stigma for everybody okay you just made everybody feel a little bit more alone out there you know like you that's that's hard Mm -hmm. I don't want it I know I'm not gonna lie there are so many movie tropes or TV trips in which therapists sleep with their patients. Oh, God, that's the worst. Or date their patients. Oh, it's and, so bad. And it's treated as though, like, it's an actual legitimate option. Yes. So, like, date. I want to be very, can we be very clear? I'm going to let you take this. It's not an option. <laughs> it is never an option. It is a really serious ethical violation. Yes. It's not like a oopsie. It's not a, well, that happens sometimes. 
therapists should not be sexual or romantic with their clients. It should not happen. And when media treats it as like a fun, sexy thing or like, oh, oh, well, this is just a really great story. That's really hard because not everybody knows that therapists are not supposed to be doing this. And if you are finding a therapist who is sexualizing you or hitting or willing to be in a flirtatious engagement that's a problem it's a big problem that's a huge problem and it it makes me like so upset because i'm like a it's abusive that's an abusive you know the position that you're in and like your ethics of the situation but also it like perpetuates the stereotypes that like a lot of therapists you know there's a lot of reasons that people might be really like it's the same thing that i feel about like when therapists in movies, like, you know, they do the, like, very... By the way, unless you're doing psychoanalysis, you're not going to be laying on a couch. There's not a couch. There's not a couch, <laughs> usually, that you lay on, and someone's, like, at your back. No, and, like, that... and, I mean, there are, like... Maybe, maybe there's some people that still do it that way. Yeah, psychoanalysis sure. is, like... And some psycho and some people that do psychoanalysis don't even do it that way. But it's, like, this weird movie trope. And what makes me really upset about it is, like, a lot of times the therapists are, like, behind their back, like fucking off like they're not even right they're texting or you know looking at something or and then I always look at the tv screen I'm like see this is why people don't want to go to therapy is because this is how it's portrayed in the media and I get super upset about it yes so yes it okay but here's the controversial thing that I'll say good good okay (laughs) please we both long ago did theater and performance (gasps) and comedy that's true unfortunately Therapists and therapy and especially sex therapy, I can see where writers are like, oh, there's so much here that could be funny. Right. I wish they wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's like easy. It's kind of easy to go for. You yeah. Know? You can see why somebody who hasn't had an experience of therapy is like, oh, this is going to be hilarious. Right. But it's really not reflecting the experiences that people no, are having. No, like it's not reflecting the experience at all. And I think that like one of the th- oh, let's see if I can articulate it. It's here, but it's like half baked. You let keep me, squeezing your fingers yeah, like, together. Just let me try to enough. figure it out how to say it. <laughs> um, I'm a verbal processor, people. If that's not clear, um, the, the I think part of it is that like. Therapy being this confidential space creates this, like, sort of, like, sense of, like, mystery around it to a certain degree that I think pulls in a lot of, like, fascination, which is part of why we're doing Sex Therapist Shoot the Shit, right? right? Like, that's part of why we're doing this podcast is to be like, man, it's like just people people. talking to other people, right? Like, but because there is this, like, that confidentiality aspect that's so inherent in what therapy is, I think, like, draws a lot of fascination. And then you add on top of that the layer of sex therapy. Yes. How many times have you been asked in a professional setting if you have sex with your clients? Oh, a lot. So many more than I ever thought right? would happen. And, like, no disrespect to sex work, right? So people who are doing different kinds of sex work where they are actually physical with their clients, it's a different thing. Yeah, it's so just there's, a different thing. Yeah, there's also something called sexual surrogacy, yes. right? Like, do you want to, do you mind saying I can? Yeah, do sure. It. Sexual surrogacy are people who have specifically trained to do hands-on work with clients sexually. Think of it almost like physical therapy. Right. But and there's ethics to that. There's guidelines. There's rules. There's a really good movie called The Sessions mm-hmm. uh, with Helen Hunt. And I can't remember John 
I'm getting it wrong. I don't remember his name, but like about it's based on a true story. But like, I think they actually, you know, and I'm not obviously like I in the state that we are currently and it is not legal. It's only legal in certain states. Right. But um, sexual surrogacy has like a lot of, like you said, like ethics and rules and like part of that movie represents it well. Like she's taking her job very seriously. She keeps notes. She takes notes. There's ethics. There are rules. Right. Versus like I have also, it shocked me how often and still does like I regularly at least I would say at least half a dozen times a year get asked in some way or people think I ha- I'm, make them have sex in my office like do we have to do right. it in here have people asked you that no <laughs> no I don't think I've gotten that one although um more in the beginning I don't know why this is tapered off but more in the beginning I added a line to like any publicity I put out there that was like this is talk therapy Right. Which was just kind of an easy website kind of way to be like, if you're looking for something hands on, this is not what you're looking for. You need to go seek different kinds of services because this is all talking. Right. And I want to be clear, like when people ask me that question, like I'm not really actually mad at the person that asked me the question. No, I am upset that we have done such a crap job of like educating people around what therapy is, what sex therapy is, and like that media has distorted it in such a way that like people have no idea often what sex therapy actually means. Because let's to be very, very clear, sex therapy is not, you are not sexual with your clients and you do not ask people to do sexual things in front of you or show you sexual things or show them sexual things. It really is talk. Like you said, it is dialogue that you're having. You might have people go home and try things with their partner or themselves. Some homework, you know, be like, try a touching exercise or something like that. Right. Like you might say, try doing this, but not in your office. That's in the privacy of people's homes. Yeah. You might ask questions about people's bodies if it's pertinent to what Mm -hmm. they are trying to figure out. If they're like, I'm having erection problems. Well, yeah, you're probably going to ask some questions that might feel personal about masturbation and, you know, tell me, you know, about how your body works in this way and how your body works in that way. And um, I always preface that kind of stuff with like, hey, I'm going to ask some stuff that might feel personal. We're jumping right in. If I go too fast, stop and tell me because you don't have to, you know, like if something feels too personal, let's let's stop and build that relationship a little bit more. Or let me tell you why I'm asking, Mm -hmm. because there's a difference between asking because you're like, oh, it'd be hot if somebody told me about how they masturbate versus like, I'm going to need to know a little bit more about your masturbation style because you might have developed some habits and some certain ways where your body is used to having an orgasm a certain way. And we might need to expand that a little bit if you're trying to do something different now. Right. Well, and that's really interesting because I do a really similar sort of spiel, which is always Mm -hmm. like, hey, you know, you are not obligated to give me any information. If I ask you any questions that at any point you're uncomfortable with or don't feel ready to answer, just say pause or no thanks. And I like routinely like probably similar to you. If I can see somebody starting to look uncomfortable, I'll remind them. I'll be like, hey, no worries. You don't like, we don't have to be this specific today because what I, and I often like, you know, I, I tend to be a little more, uh, extroverted in certain ways. Like one of the things that I often talk to people about is I'm like, look, I talk about sex all day, every day. I have no filter. (laughs) Like I have no filter left. 
And I also at the same time recognize that not everyone is doing that. And so the ease with which I might like blurt out a question and ask you a question like, oh, you know, tell me how many, you know, on average, how often are the two of you engaging in oral, right? Like <laughs> I might just like throw that out, but like maybe the people sitting in front of me have like never really verbalized those sorts of things where I don't have any practice. Right. And so like it really is like, you know, like about creating that like safer space for somebody to start practicing having those kind of dialogues and setting limits and boundaries. Which is crucial to all the consent stuff, right? When somebody knows that they can tell you if they're uncomfortable or if they're not ready to answer a question and that you're going to be like, that's fine. You get to say that. That is a totally different dynamic around sex than a lot of people have experienced where maybe they have felt pushed through discomfort that Mm -hmm. they didn't feel like they could voice Mm -hmm. right so yeah I think it's so important right and I you know I think one of the things that gets to be um just kind of tricky in general right is that like generally too people we also like kind of culturally train people that like you know, to like give people what they ask for. Right. And so well, sometimes especially people in authority. Yeah. So people in authority. So like, sometimes it is like, like I spend a lot of times, especially when I'm first getting to know somebody, if I'm working with somebody new of like paying attention to like how they look and like trying to put the brakes on things for them. Yes. Like, no, for real, you don't, it's okay. Like yeah. we don't have to go here today because people do often feel obligated yes. to talk about certain things because we've kind of like, it's polite, right? Or whatever, like you see somebody in a position of authority and it's like, well, I guess I have to answer. And then yeah. people, and what you don't want is someone leaving feeling bad because they're like, whoa, I really wish I wouldn't have disclosed that. I barely knew that person. And just because I have like, you know, some letters after my name doesn't mean that like I'm owed your information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? That's the trick to it, right? You know, I use that phrase, it's talk therapy because it was a quick, easy way to tell people hey, I don't do touch therapies, right? Um, But it also is a lot more than talk therapy because it's about the relationship that you build with someone. Mm -hmm. And it's about, can they feel trusting enough? You know, are you a person they can trust enough? How do you prove to them that you're a person that will go at their pace and will, uh, you know, just like you said, like notice if they're having a reaction and be like, hey, how you doing? What's going on right now? I kind of look like you... Stop breathing for a second, or, you know. <laughs> I or I can see you getting kind of flush really right tense. now. Like, do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I think that there's just so many ways in which, like, unless I remember, like, when I don't know if you remember, like, when I first started doing more like specific sex therapy, like, I did a lot of fake it till you make it for a really long oh, time. Yeah. Like, I was absolutely like, I would, I just want people to know that when I would ask people about like, so talk to me about your sex history and your masturbation habits. It wasn't like inside. I was like, and I'm totally calm (laughs) and very confident asking you these questions. I was like, Oh my God, this is so weird that I'm asking them this. I mean, how did you feel? I don't, well, I started as a sex educator and then decided to go to school to be a therapist. So I actually started by doing, by selling sex toys at home parties And I started with no knowledge and really not expected to have any knowledge, right? So I was like selling vibrators, essentially. Um, It was in what was probably a mid-level marketing scheme when I started (laughs) out, although it worked out really well for me. I don't know. Um, I've never seen that company that I worked for in court yet, 
but um, I they didn't expect you to have any knowledge. I wanted to because I started. Well, I started because the person I went to a party and the person who was running it was the worst. The <laughs> worst. She was so upset. She was so angry, and she had this whole bag full of sex toys that she was angry at. <laughs> Oh, that's like so sad. Oh, yeah. And she had a whole room full of women who were like drinking and like, well, we're here. We're going to, you know, sex toys, whatever. And people would ask her a question and she would be like, I wouldn't know. I don't have a boyfriend right now. On to the next one. And like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was. I'm going to make this as joyless as possible. Exactly. And um, so I left that as a person who was doing theater at the time and being like, how do I live? How do I make money? And I was like, well, I could do that better than that. I wouldn't be so angry. And I had a lot of ideas of like empowerment. Like I could really, you know, try to make it educational. I could try to answer people's questions. Honestly, I think it's really important for people to get in touch with their bodies and, you know, this and that. And uh, I quickly realized as I started that I had no idea what I was doing and people would ask me questions and I'd be like, I want to answer that. I don't know. Right. And the company didn't care to give you any training. They just wanted Mm -hmm. you to solve things. So I just started like ravenously devouring every book I could come across, um, just reading everything I could. That was before the days of YouTube. So, you know, like there weren't as many video options for me. A lot of Betty Dodson. A lot of Betty. Oh, Betty helped so mm-hmm. much. Ducky Doolittle's book helped me so much. I don't know that book. What's oh, I'm not going to remember the title right now. Um, but she has a great book about just talking. I remember reading that book and being like, oh, I want to sound like this when I talk to people about sex. I want to sound like comforting like this and like welcoming, like her tone was just so great. Right. And it was a lot of being asked a question and not knowing. And sometimes people would ask a question that for whatever reason would set off something in me, like it'd be a little too close to like my personal life or like, you know, whatever. And I'd get embarrassed and I'd have to like try to, do you remember that, that feeling? I'm sure that's come up for you. Mm -hmm. Like feeling kind of embarrassed or like noticing your own stuff and being like, I just have to be cool on the outside because it's about you. Oh yeah. I mean like deep imposter syndrome. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Right. Which by the way, I think is, is a healthy response. Yes. I am always wary of professionals, generally speaking, whenever somebody like, I think, and this is like a personal bias, but I think it's good to always have, not like crippling, but like some occasional, occasional imposter syndrome, right? Where you're like, what happens if people realize I have no idea what I'm doing? (laughs) Why? Why? Because, I mean, it's not what you want to hear from your professionals, right? But because it forces you to like learn more and question what you know and question what you think you know. Yes. And I think it's like incredibly important to being a solid practitioner. Yeah. Well, I think it's incredibly important for people to hear if they're listening to this podcast and if they see a therapist or even doctors that you have, like medical doctors, you know, that you have in your life, knowing that they are people too. And yes, they hopefully have had some really specific and thorough training in what they're working with, but none of us know everything. And none of us know a person's life better than that person knows it. Right. And so just always keeping that in mind of like, if you're having the imposter syndrome, that's kind of good. Cause like you just said, you'll check yourself, but like, 
I keep that in mind now too. I'm I'm more feisty with with medical professionals and other oh, professionals in too. my own life now because I'm just like you're just like me. You got a lot of training, but you don't know everything. <laughs> you can still screw it up like I can still screw it up. Right. I you know, and I think that like that that sort of like I love that we're sort of telling our origin stories just more organically though. Um, <laughs> I want to hear more about yours and how you ended up asking people about sex. Like where how did that happen for you? What do you mean? Like when you were saying, you know, when you were training as a therapist and you started asking people questions about sex, did you go into therapy school knowing you wanted to yes, specialize in sex? I found my way. This is like very funny and it's very, I think Jeremiah will get mad at me for sharing this because he loves the illusion of me being some fancy doctor, but I ended up <laughs> by um, being a uh, doctor incredibly impulsively. So um, I was living in New York and I was you know, doing some performance stuff at the time. And you know, what's really interesting is like some of that performing was actually going like a little better than it had been. But I remember I was sitting at this like audition and I was just like, I'd been waiting and I was next up. And it was for a role that was like, you know, like, I don't know, like menial, right? It just really wasn't that important, but I had waited for like, I think like seriously, like non-hyperbolically like eight hours to go in. And I, um, I remember sitting there and thinking I was next, I was next, like on deck, like for karaoke, you know, where they're like on deck, right? Like <laughs> I was next. Um, and I remember thinking, yeah, I don't want to do this. Like, wow. like, I just was like, this is not the life that I want. Like, and I'd always been really interested in, you know, in my undergrad and like theater, like I'd always like my senior project was like essentially like a qualitative study. I was like really interested in like mind body connection. And so it was like a play based on like, you know, people, it's like people whose bodies had been through really difficult experiences. So like people that had been in accidents or dancers or bodybuilders or like just people that had been through these injuries. And I remember in the process of like writing that show, I'd interviewed all these people and like heard their stories. And like in doing that, like a lot of the people that I interviewed in writing their stories were like, oh, this felt like therapy, right? Like this felt really therapeutic. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I just like, it was so, it was so impulsive. Like I literally went home that day and like looked at grad schools and was like, I'm going to apply. And like, I studied you know, pretty aggressively. Did you have to do the GRE? Then? I had to take yeah. the graduate requis requisite exam and I studied pretty aggressively for like three weeks and I took it and I got in a master's program and probably within the first, when I started the master's program, I had always really been fascinated in like gender and human sexuality and sort of these areas. And I think, um, like I'd always been fascinated with that in theater and the arts as well and like themes of that and certain like plays and shows and I like really knew right away in my master's program when I started my master's it was I'm kind of a person that like is really intense about things so like when I <laughs> when I if it's not kind clear of, yeah a little but like so when I do a thing like I tend to go all in and so I decided that I was like in my master's program, I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get a doctorate. And so I did my master's with the intention of hopefully being able to get into a doctorate program. And so I started in my master's program, starting to really like cater the training experiences I did to like areas where I could start to get more experience in human sexuality. And so I, but it was really impulsive. Like 
And I also like remember, and I want to be very honest with people. I remember there used to be this show when I was living in New York, like right before that incident happened with the audition, like literally days before I was sitting in a, in my living room and I was watching, like I was just scrolling through the TV and there's a show that used to be on HBO called In Treatment. Do you remember oh, that show? No, I never saw that. It was a that. show and it was like a therapist in like clients, like basically yeah. just like walking through. And I think it was probably I don't, one of the more realistic depiction, depictions, kind of sort of, of therapy in TV. Yeah. And I didn't, I wasn't like a watcher of the show. It was literally just on. And I looked at it and I watched this guy talk to this guy for like five minutes and it sounds very arrogant to me, but I thought, I could do that. <laughs> And by the way, at the time, not even remotely understanding how truly difficult and how much skill there is really, truly required in being a good practitioner and therapist, right? But I literally had this like little moment of like, I could do that. And then that's when that, then like a couple days later, it's when that audition happened. And so I just like, I think I changed sort of trajectories. Like I just kind of went into my master's being like, well, hope that I like this. That, yes. Yeah. <laughs> How I, have we known each other this many years? You don't, you've never. Heard... I've never heard that story. Yeah. Well, because I knew you, we knew each other before you moved to New York. We knew each other through theater stuff. And then obviously afterwards, and we ended up working together, yes. which was kind of funny. We both ended up working at this place and being like, wait a second, don't we know each other? I was like, I know you. Yeah. I don't recommend, I don't recognize you without the heavy makeup on. Uh, <laughs> The post-show hair, the, the post-show yeah. makeup, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the foundation ring around yeah. the edge of your face. Yes, yeah. <laughs> don't I don't recognize you without you know the 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 lines from playing a, a person that's older in age, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, right, yeah. I just realized like there's a, there's a gap. Like I feel like we've known each other through all that, but there was a gap there yeah I, I hadn't heard that story mm -hmm. so yeah like wow. I you know I think it's really fascinating like when I went to like interviews and stuff to like get different like um you know training opportunities and like fellowship and all these kind of things like people often ask like what you know like what brought you into counseling and like <laughs> I'm like do you want the honest answer <laughs> it was super impulsive but I ended up it ended up being a really good fit and what I said was true like when I was doing theater and writing I really liked writing yeah I always really liked people's stories and like hearing people's stories like that's what I liked about theater was writing listening to and you know at times performing somebody else's story and even as an um you know when I was more of a performer I always enjoyed performing stuff that was more based on like real like real life or plays based on people's actual lives versus like fiction. And yeah. so, you know, it was just a odd, I took kind of an odd path. I'd love to say that I had some like magnanimous like sort of calling and <laughs> no. It was a mix of a TV show, an audition <laughs> that I didn't want to do, and then some old interests that kind of came to fruition. You know, sometimes it's just like that. And I agree with everything you're saying about how, um, to me, there's always been a lot of connection between theater and um, therapy. And sometimes people hear that and kind of take it the wrong way. Like, oh, you're acting or like, oh, you have to convince people of something. It's like, no, you just have to have empathy and you have to think about human beings and what they feel and why they might be feeling the things the way they feel and why they might do the things that they do. And you also have to have a good understanding of, ooh, I'm going to go there, of energy 
of like mm -hmm. people's energy and like how to connect with people and how to notice when something is happening for them. And also sometimes like how to switch the energy, you know, like if it's like five minutes to the end of a session and it's been real heavy and you're like, I got to see if I can possibly help this person put themselves back together a little bit before they walk out the door and you can figure out how to switch that energy, but in a way that doesn't feel abrupt and horrible that work feels really similar to me to um, some of the ways that theater felt. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like am really still very grateful for my time doing that and like engaging in that because I think that there were so many, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I humiliated myself a lot. Like in sort of, you may be at a very different career in that than me, but like, I feel like I really learned a lot more sort of like tolerance. Like, so, you know, when, when you're, especially like if you're doing it pretty seriously, like you have to deal with rejection a lot, oh, yeah. you have to deal with not being what people expect of you or yes. how, do you know what I mean? Like not to stand in. up in front of a row of people who are looking at you and finding everything that they don't want about you and seeing if there's anything that they do want about you. Right. I mean, it's just, a, it's like a real exercise in a lot of different things. And, and I think that like I learned a lot and I do think in certain ways it made me more empathic to some of those feelings for other people or why things might be hard. Right. And yes. so I, um, I really like, I appreciate that I did it. Like, it's not like a, I, I share it because it's not something that like in my past that I'm like, hide it, keep it, right. sweep it under the rug right. because I feel like it was actually really instrumental and in, like helping me better understand like a lot of like, just like people and like how I might engage with other people or how other people might engage with me or the world. And like, I really actually am pretty grateful for those experiences. And I'm super grateful for a lot of the humiliating experiences because I feel like what it taught me was that like, like, you know, like that idea of like healthy risk taking where it's like, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll think about doing something and maybe it's like presenting or doing a podcast and I'll be like, Oh, what if I humiliate myself? And then I'll like think back on a time where I like really humiliated myself <laughs> from like an audience of like hundreds of people. And I think, I mean, that wasn't that bad. I got over, I got over it. I'm not like detrimentally scarred for life. Be able to do this, right? Oh, to be clear, I'm only laughing because yes, I've had those exact <laughs> experiences, and there are still moments of that part of my life that come back, and I'm like, ah, I did that, huh? Yeah. Like, I, I, that was the thing that I chose to, but, but just like you, I love it. I think it was valuable, and um, it it deepened me as a person, and I don't think I could do what I was doing now without having done theater first because there was a lot I had to figure out about myself and about like how my emotions worked and how my emotions worked with other people's and that was all the work that I learned through theater that I don't know where I would have gotten otherwise like where do you get that otherwise yeah I mean like you know I think of like that idea that like you know that's it's some to a certain degree like it's um kind of you know, the idea of cognitive dissonance, right? Like we all kind of at a certain idea, like convince ourselves of the paths that we took, right? We're the right paths because sure. they led us to where we needed to be. Sometimes that's not sure. everybody's experience, right? 
So I like certainly have this bias, right? Because I'm like, yeah, that worked out. Why? Well, because I needed in my mind, right? Like I sort of <laughs> need it to have worked out because it wouldn't be very probably beneficial for me to be like, if only, if only I would have really made it as an actor and a performer and a writer. But, you know, I still like, honestly, I, I do really value it. And I feel really pleased with where I end up because I like, honestly, and you know, this is like, I know we're, this is, you know, sex therapist shooting the shit, but like, I can tell you because I feel so privileged like all the time to get to do what I do. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because people share incredibly intimate, like difficult things with me. And to me, it's like, you know, wow. Like what a, what a, like a privilege and honor to like, that, that I get to be present for that yes. for other people because that's a huge, to me, it's a huge thing. And, you know, I'm not sure that I always kill it with 100% accuracy, but, like, I really try my best to, like, think of it at, in that way because, you know, I think the moment that you start thinking of, like, it's a privilege for you to be hearing all my brilliant thoughts today, <laughs> right, is the moment that you probably start losing some people and, and your, your helpfulness that's I when guess. you've jumped the shark yeah yeah oh what a great happy days reference <laughs> do you know that a lot of people don't know what that means i've used that phrase really? i use that phrase all the time and i then i have to it's probably, it's probably because i work with youth it's probably because i work with youth and they're like what is this old person thing that you're saying yeah 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 but there was another show that used it too right it was like I feel like there was a more recent show that talked about the Happy Days episode with the shump, the shark jumping. I think next time we can get into the etymology. We're going <laughs> to have to do some research on this. That's right. the most important thing about tonight is... <laughs> researching Happy Days? Yes, absolutely. Well, I feel like timing-wise, we probably... Should we wrap this up? We should wrap this up. Yeah. We shot the shit. We shot the shit. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe next time it'll just be you and I, or maybe it'll be you, me, and somebody else. But you and I will definitely be here. Yes. Shooting I the shit. I love it. That's part of the mystery. You'll have to wait and see who shows up. Yeah. I mean, this has been a really strange trajectory from go sex. <laughs> We've really... <laughs> I hope we always have this kind of trajectory where we can just start out one place and then end up somewhere completely different. I feel like this could be like a real grab bag of an experience for people. And yeah, I enjoy a good grab yeah. bag. Well, and I appreciate uh, hearing your, I enjoy a good grab <laughs> bag. <laughs> After I said it, I was like, was that dirty? What, what That's there? the other hard thing what? about, we need to talk about this in a future episode, is being a sex therapist now. I can't say anything without finding some type of euphemism in it where I'm oh like, my oh my God. Well, the whole time that you were learning about CBT, uh, school was that a fun joyride for you because yeah, i was do you want to explain what the two different definitions so there's are? there's two different cbts one is cognitive behavioral therapy so when you're in your classes learning about all the different modes of therapy you might want to try or might be effective cognitive behavioral therapy is a huge one um so you'll hear cbt a lot it also might stand for cock and ball torture depending on who you're talking to Generally, in my therapy program, it did not stand for cock and ball torture. Neither in mine. But in my heart, it stood for whatever I wanted. And I had a good time in class just killing away. I feel like cock and ball torture is a good place to end (laughs) for the evening. Well, Laura, it is a pleasure, as always. Thank you for being here. I always love to come chat with you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, please, everyone, stay tuned. We will be releasing these monthly. So, um, and again, just in case you forgot, 
This is Sex Therapist Shoot the Shit, sponsored by the University of Pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.